0: Hello, listeners. This is episode nineteen of the Atkins Labcast, and um, sitting here on Sunday evening, very, very late. Why are we so late, Kate?
1: I think we're in denial that today was Sunday.
0: Yes, we. I our, was in denial. We want our we want our Monday to be our Sunday, <coughs> and today to be our Sunday. No,
1: I just think we need more like days in a weekend.
0: More days. Well, <laughs> we should ask that since all the world leaders are. Not too busy right now. We should ask them. <laughs> if I haven't got much on. We should ask them about that. You know, like it actually could give be. Give me some of that hand cream. It should be good for the whole lockdown.
1: No one's told us what the hell this is called. Do you think anyone's listening?
0: No. Um. Uh, yeah, I do know. I do know someone is listening.
1: Someone. Yes.
0: You've heard of one person? Yes, I have. Oh, sweet. So whilst they're not doing anything and not worried about. They should sort give of things, us an extra. They weekend. should give us an extra day, and yep. it would be good for. The distancing socially i expect
1: yeah i, I reckon you might be right yeah. and you know it will, it will make us all feel better
0: it will it will at um, any rate it is now sunday night and it is, it is
1: sunday night we should stop whinging because eight. we're lucky we have jobs
0: yes we're lucky we have jobs right yeah we had a lovely dinner and we now we're dinner. recording we did
1: a moroccan thing
0: we did a moroccan thing
1: sort of middle eastern moroccan i yes. don't know it's bastardization of somebody's culture
0: that's right um, and, uh, we've had a week in the photography industry and we're about to fake it, another face another week. <laughs> fake, fake it. another week. Fake it for another week, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. Well, you know, the, the, the news this week that's gone by is, is Kodak and.
1: Kodak and now they put the whole thing on, on pause because Kodak can't stop giving themselves money no. day before they make an announcement. Is that on pause, is it? Mm, that's the last I heard. Was oh, well. They had to put it all on pause because everyone's going. These guys are doing the wrong thing, giving themselves money the day before they announce things. They did it in. Yeah, stock. Years they gave them stock well.
0: options a couple of days before they announced it, which meant those three dollar shares that became three hundred dollar shares.
1: That's just like. I, I wish I
0: wish I was one of them. I could do with a bit of a bump like that.
1: Oh, I would. I would do with someone just buying me a bag of pasta that wasn't five dollars at this point. <laughs>
0: So, Kate, what did you think of the David Dare Parker interview?
1: Very interesting. He is the real deal when it comes to documentary photography. And um Yeah, it was a good interview. It was a really good interview. I, I look forward to interviewing his partner. Yeah. She me th- sounds me like too. quite interesting. Me too. Um I'm I'm interested that there's so many people that you're talking to whose lives have previously been heavily based on travel and who are all sort of saying they're quite enjoying not traveling at the moment
0: yeah well david i think he's um he's not had much of a chance to sit still in his career mm. and not travel i mean he's, he's traveling within western australia uh, but i think he's he's kind of glad to to have been And of course a lot of his is i mean we think of david because i've seen his work over the years and the thing that sticks out is the 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 war correspondent stuff the embedded work mm. but the reality is he's he's been uh, a photographer on uh, motion picture sets stills photographer motion picture sets for years mm. and that's probably been his main uh, his his main thing and uh, there was so much more stories in there that i that i failed to dig into
1: well there's only so much you can do in an hour
0: that's right that's right does seem to be a long time for an interview but it is good to be able to get stuff done. I got to say, the thing that I um that really uh, shook me when I was talking to him not shook me, but stuck with me was that comment about how brief the violent moments are and how mm. how they just happen in a snap and they're done and gone. But then there's this oh, whatever carnage is left over afterwards. And I think I think I can understand that. I mean the those impassioned moments uh, that you know you read about, uh, and you imagine them, I suppose because of movies they're drawn out and there's all this slow motion stuff built mm. around them, but the reality is they're over in an instant, and if everyone's still standing that's a that's a really really good thing
1: yeah, and also about when he talked about how you sort of have to still have fear because if you don't, that'll be a problem
0: yeah, yeah, yeah
1: which is interesting because there's, there's that sort of romanticised idea of the documentary photographer or embedded journalist or <coughs> any of that stuff where they're fearless and they just go running towards where everyone is running away and all that sort of shit. But in actual fact, you kind of need to still have some fear otherwise you won't last very long.
0: Yeah, yeah. <coughs> I've been reading uh, uh, a bu- books on two World War I uh, You've been reading a
1: book about World War One correspondence. It's so unlike you. I
0: know, no, but photographers, uh, Hurley and um, and uh, and Wilkins and the the both books are separate sorts of things. But they, I can't work out whether the, the stories they're telling are, you know, jolly good show. That was fun. Bully for you. Off we go to the great adventure whether that is because we're looking in reflection of the whole thing and the amount of times they were in harm's way was – and just got shelled and got blown off their feet. I uh,
1: mean, shell-shocked was what we used to call it, PTSD. yes, that's right. So I don't know. I mean, just because it happened a long time ago, I don't think people stopped being terrified just because it was a long time ago.
0: No, but the, the – well, according to these books, there's, there was a lot of going and unnecessary places by themselves, unprotected uh, – and putting themselves at risk and walking away from machine gun fire and 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 a lot of luck in the whole situation. And I can't work out whether that bravado was just this looking back on the war, or whether they actually did that sort of craziness. I mean, according to everything in the awards they got and the medals and all that stuff, is that they actually did it.
1: Well, I mean, I suppose now, they're you know, they're, you've got all those stupid boys climbing up buildings and hanging off by their fingertips and all that sort of shit. I mean, maybe that's a... You know, it's just that, s- that certain t- sort of temperament of person that goes running towards the danger when everyone else is running away and they think it's there's something that draws them to it.
0: It's funny, my um, my, my <coughs> dear friend uh, Robert Ayliff was telling me a story. His uh, father-in-law was on the Kokoda Trail. Uh, Charlie, Charlie Fisher was on the Kokoda Trail mm. and they had a time where they were looking at, do I need to start eating the dead? Kind of a thing. It was horrendous, oh. right? They went through like he was an infantryman, absolutely terrible stuff, horrendous, horrendous march for for weeks without food and water and all this kind of stuff. And they got out of it, of course, because Charlie's around and Robert was Robert was taking Charlie to to do something. They were on the the freeway together, going along, and um, a couple a car full of kids came up alongside them and were just. Uh, sort of swerving at them and, you know, wanted to give them a race and all this kind of stuff and just, you know, being larrikins. And Charlie turns to Rob and says, is this what they call hoons? (laughs) And Robert says, yeah, because Robert's also pretty realistic as well. He said, yeah, yeah, you know, kids being stupid, having fun. And he said, Charlie turned to him and said, well, that's what got us through the war, is Mm. that sort of attitude where you can, you know, harmless, you can't be harmed sort of thing, you... You're gonna be you're yeah. gonna survive everything. Yeah. And I think I think um I mean David's perspective is he that happened quite a few years ago in his life and I think he probably looks back on it uh, you know, fondly for the certain times and the danger was there. He did say he was afraid. Mm. Uh, um but there are people out there still doing these things and photojournalists still putting themselves in harm's way. And I, I thought it was really interesting the discussion, which is very similar to the Murray White discussion where we talked about having an audience for the work and who pays for it these days and yeah. can you be doing this stuff? Because I think <clears> the, the truth will really suffer if these people, if we're relying on everyone's iPhone stories because we know that it takes a certain sort of understanding about journalism to capture something and sort of give it a bit of, a bit of truthfulness rather than come in with a complete slant and bias.
1: Yeah, but it also creates, uh, like I think the written word creates a different... Um, expression of a story that images create something broader and that allows for more interpretation. I mean, some of the photography that's been done of Trump of by journalists, by photojournalists, have been has been just glorious. Like, there have just been some incredible shots taken of him. Um, not, <coughs> you know, just the, the usual where he looks like a deranged moron, but, um, you know, just... Some of the like I saw one this morning that was sort of shot sort of looking up at him from his fingertips and it was it was really good. And then there was that beautiful one with it was shot in the White House that they had these sort of little sconces behind him and one of them sort of made these little horn like it was a light, these little golden horns either side of his of his head and like, you know, he just looked like the devil that he is. And I, I think you know there's there's – the 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 thing that visual things do in that it gives you so many – I'm not going to use the fucking thousand word blah, 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 you know, that saying about pictures.
0: Oh, a picture um, says a thousand words.
1: Yeah, all that shit. Um, but I just think it gives you uh, – it gives you – an experience of something that you can't get when it's just a a written in a written form, just the same as I think, you know, you get a different experience of something when it's um, sound or video or any of that stuff. It's another layer of understanding something, which is why, I mean, I I get annoyed by photojournalism that is articles of, you know, in photojournalism that is just photography, like a, photographic essay with no written word drives yep. me bonkers because I'm standing around going, well, who the fuck is this woman and where did she go? And, you know, and they're like, oh, the photography tells the story. Yeah, except right up until you fucking just want to know some details. Um, but I just think that it's it's part of the art form of stero- s- storytelling that isn't just about writing and can't be told with teenage a collection of teenagers and their iPhones. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Well, anyway, let's send our listeners off to listen to yes. David. Uh, enjoy, and we'll catch up with you I'm on the start this afternoon, with David from Antarctica. Uh, David's a photojournalist uh, living in the beautiful Margaret River in Australia, and I'm in Adelaide, so we're an hour and a half behind each other, if my memory is correct. So you're no, a little Dad. bit behind me. You haven't quite got the... The mid-afternoon sun, you haven't started drinkies yet, whereas we're allowed to drink right now. You guys are not quite there with Margaret River?
2: Any time, timely, really, really.
0: It really is, isn't it? It's fabulous. Um, and, David, you've, um, I, I didn't realise when I invited you to do this, you were in the middle of heading into a presentation as a part of a, uh, a bit of a festival. or not a festival, but uh, an event being run uh, by Camera Electronic. Is that correct?
2: We've just finished that. It was on the weekend, actually.
0: Oh, was that good?
2: Yeah, no, it was fun. I mean, I we sat sat on the couch with um, Tony Hewitt and my wife Martine. So, you know, he's questioning, he's well researched, and I mean, I haven't heard it back. In fact, I'll never hear it back. So, I never, I never ever watch anything after I've done something. <laughs> yeah, I
0: don't. I don't think it's a good idea, is it? No. It's, it's, it's actually. I'm a bit. I'm a remiss because I've never. I'm, I've met Martine, but I've never talked with her. And the what I'm trying to do with with uh, this podcast is that we're just. So I'm talking to people that I've met uh, in a way that people would have talked uh, uh, over the counter of the lab over the years, and just you know these extended conversations. And I and I haven't had the chance to talk to Martine, and I would very much like to have her as a guest at some stage because uh, you're, you're you you and um, and Trent Park have both got f- fabulous partners who are, who are who are kicking goals, and often I think you know bigger goals than than one another at times. There's quite a bit of competition going.
2: Yeah, actually, no competition. I'm sort of. Slowing down a little bit, if anything. I mean, it's I can't go anywhere at the moment. So it's not exactly the ideal position to be a photojournalist stuck in my river when there's no flights available. So
0: yeah, yeah.
2: We, we support each other really. I mean, I think she does some great work, and we work in different ways. And occasionally we do work together. Um, but no, she's a dynamo. There's no stopping Martine. So she's well worth having a chat with. Yeah,
0: uh, she's, she's fabulous. I love, I lo- do love her work. Uh, so, David, where would you like to be right now if you had a chance as a photojournalist?
2: Oh, look, to be honest, I'm not sure. I'm actually enjoying the, the piece um, and not being part of the hustle at the moment, to be honest. I'm playing a lot more guitar and I've still to come up with a personal project I really want to take on. I've been, um the last thing I did that was of any note was probably the Rohingya crisis in Bangladesh, you know, where the refugees were crossing the Naf River from Bangladesh, fleeing the persecution there at the time. Um, look, I've I'm honestly taking some time out, Paul, and I'm quite enjoying the, the break, catching up and reading some books and um, spending time with my 14-year-old son and spending time with Martin because we're often away. So, no, life's pretty good. Um, I could do with a bit more work I And mean, the last big project, I'd, you know, working project was Mystery Road, the TV series. That was like two and a half months up in Broome. So that was a great experience. It wasn't exactly photojournalism, but, you know, it pays the bills and it was a great set. Great producers, great crew and a great shoot, it's a wonderful cast. So.
0: You've got a lot of um, a, a lot in your filmography, a lot of work. You, you've worked with motion as a stills photographer on set. Is that what you've been doing?
2: Always as a stills photographer on set, yeah. yeah.
0: Have you dabbled with uh, video yourself?
2: I have. I've shot news. In, in the early days, I used to carry a single and a three-chip camera with me when I worked. And, um, but in recent years, I mean, I've got, you know, DSLRs have evolved for such a point that they, they shoot decent video but to be honest i kind of prefer being a stills photographer um i love the impact of a still image and the way i work you know as you know photography is a dance um and too much motion in video makes people seasick so um you always have to find that right frame because in video you've got to sort of hold the frame and let something reveal itself in front of the camera
0: yeah That's and a i and i i i've read that um you're a bit of a fan of, of the black and white image in the, in, in the way you work. Is that still the case?
2: Look, every assignment I get is colour. I mean, say 20 years ago, people expected black and white. And I love black and white. And sometimes, but look, if I shoot a picture with colour in mind, that stays a colour image. Um, even when I convert it to black and white, it sort of feels like one of my pictures. But um, I think I'm a better black and white photographer than a colour photographer. But I think, you know, the work dictates the most requirements for colour Black and white doesn't seem to reproduce as well these days. It's not like a hard copy of a print or something where,
0: um, and the Commodore
2: conversion. is not. Just, I I have no nostalgia for black and white film, put it that way. Um, no, no,
0: I read that that you are quite glad, uh, uh, you know, and, and you, you like, a, like Kappa, like have lost some work to to freight or bad lab technicians or something. That's that kind of reminds you that it's fine to be in my hands uh, on the on a memory card.
2: Look, I've been watching, I mean, every now and again, you know, I've Stephen DuPont's Instagram account. He's got these, you know, where some of these negatives he's been printing up that went through X-ray machines and were damaged in some way. And I, I kind of love that idea, that sort of flawed art um, or accidental art in some ways. Um, but no, I, I, what I don't miss is 36 frames. I mean, half my contact sheets stop at around 28 or so, so fine missing a shot by the change rolls. So that's an expensive process. Yeah. Whereas now I get, you know, up to 1,000 images on a, you know, 128 gigabyte cards, so um, no nostalgia for film, no nostalgia for you know, having trouble printing in highlights or bringing out shadow details, and you know, I was never W. G. Smith with cyanide or you know, bleaching detail into shadows and things. I, I just I love the fact that you know what you see with the digital image is there, and you can convert to black and white if you want to, but to be honest, it just depends on the moment.
0: Yeah, and I've got to say, I, I think a lot of people's experience with black and white these days is because we have all of this detail at our, at our fingertips, we're, we're sort of unwilling to sacrifice it, whereas what we got in our black and white film is what we got and there was no grabbing anything back. And it was quite you know, quite vicious with shadows. Uh, you know, they just Things went, and it's a beautiful look. It's a very unique look. But because yeah. we have it all in digital, we're very loathe to give it up and, and and so we're seeing work that doesn't resemble the black and white we're
2: familiar with. Well look in the days when we shot colour transparency for colour, you know, I was shooting news with a twenty five ASA film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. and when Codify <laughs> two hundred came out, that was that, that was a revelation all of a sudden that was fast. Yeah. And that's our starting point now with digital cameras, you know. Um, and look you never realised that you'd missed something until four or five weeks later when you saw the trannies on a lightbox box or the film pop up in the you know, in the dark room. So
0: you know, sometimes you thought you
2: had something that maybe wasn't there and occasionally you see something that you didn't think you had that was there. So it's kind of a, you know, it's an interesting revealing process, whereas now it's instant. Um, you know, I do every now and again, you know, I do check the back of the camera. It can be disappointing sometimes on the spot when you thought you had something better than straight away. You realise you haven't, but then you've got another chance of getting something. And what I also love about digital is nowadays there's more responsibility in telling people's stories properly. In other words, you know, Twenty thirty years ago, sometimes your relationship with someone was two fiftieth of a second. Yeah. Whereas now you've got to take stock and have a responsibility to get to know the people a little bit better, and and having that image on the back, you know, it, you can strike up a conversation and show them when you're getting their details. Um, and I like that; it makes you work harder and makes you more responsible to the real telling of the story. Um, if that makes sense, it slows you yeah. down a little.
0: No, I get that. I get that. I mean, the, you hear that argument the other way with with film. Where, where people like this, the slowness of working with it. But um, uh, I think you're right because you've got that conversation, you've got that image, and if it's someone who's maybe not experienced in having their image taken, uh, they, you can show it to them straight away and you can send it to them straight away. You know, you, you're, you're live and on the wire.
2: Um, no, exactly. Um, and look, your first responsibility is to get the story out as quickly as possible. So, you know, we don't have the luxury of waiting before, or I don't have the luxury of waiting for or five weeks to get my images back up on am way. Yeah. For any length yeah. of time. And, you know, yeah. very rarely process in the film. I mean, I, then you have to smuggle your film or hide your film, and there's extra weight to carry, and extra cost. I mean, you know, you buy a couple of high definition, you know, large gigabyte, gigabyte cards, and um, you know, you can pretty much do the whole shoot for that. Um, yeah. Even yeah. though I do go back and do put things on, you know, two hard drives and keep one hard drive hidden and do all the sort of stuff on your way to, to secure the pictures. You can pretty much travel on them,
0: yeah. Without
2: doing that, with some of the cars we've got,
0: as long as you've got a battery charge or a way of charging your batteries, which is, I think, the downside of all of, you know, all the technology. It's just not you. You just can't rely on clockwork anymore. You've got to, and you've got to keep things dry. And if batteries get too cold, they perform differently. But look, that's all small, small fry, really, in the great scheme of things.
2: It is, yeah.
0: They're tools in the end, aren't they? They are. So, so you know, you, you mentioned that. You, like all of us, are not really doing much because you know, the pandemic's kind of shut us all down. But well, I'm getting work.
2: I am getting work. I'm getting more editorial work. I did a job a couple of days ago through the Guardian UK and, you know, had a couple of jobs for Bloomberg and New York Times and um, so I'm getting small jobs. Um, it's beautiful much.
0: that you don't have to travel, I suppose, that, you, you know, that's been your life has been photography away from Perth and Margaret River. Um,
2: yeah. It's still each, each job, you know, they pay an alms amount, So you are and you're kind of working as a local, so it's a seven hour round trip on top of everything else. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm still keeping it's still been busy. I mean I doing a lot of sort of this sort of thing, like Zoom sessions. And like say, I said came to electronics the other day and I've got one coming up for Nikon next month, I think. Uh, and the Australian um photography awards people they're doing some things and um did a couple of sessions for head on, pretty heavy things like um well, one was on trauma and the other one was on fake news and so there's all these sort of discussions going in the world with the the evolving profession of photojournalism and responsibilities of what it means to be a photojournalist. But but certainly you know, I'm, I'm at that age now I think um, yeah I'm aware that I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be when I'm away. Eh? you know, it's, it's getting more complicated. So you're not as useful in your approach to things. You're probably a little bit more studied and a bit more thoughtful about what sort of work you want to take on.
0: The, the work you did with the ADF and and also in, you did a bit of training for journalists that are going to war zones, weren't you a, were you a consultant or a trainer at one stage in the early 2000s? Oh,
2: look, I did one stint with the International Federation of Journalists where I was helping... Um, because it was almost like you know, I was working with Afghan journalists and some Pakistani journalists at the start of the Second Gulf War in Peshawar, um, and it's almost as much as you know, they were being sent across the, the border, and some of them hadn't been back into Afghanistan for years. I mean, you know, they'd left during the Soviet occupation, so they were going back, and the risk was that, you know, it was a, it was a dangerous process. So part of our job was to, to say, "Well, these are your rights," and sometimes it's good to say no to a job, and um, this is what you could earn. And some of them just asking questions like, "What does CNN mean?" or you know, they wanted to do journals, but they weren't quite sure what that actually meant. Um, but the money was better than anything they'd seen before, and they were given cameras and sent across the border into Afghanistan from Pakistan um, because it was so different, difficult at the time to, for Westerners to get across the border. So we were pretty much there just as sort of advising them as to what your rights are and to talk about the International Federation of Journalists and what sort of protections you can have and what sort of, um, you know, resources you can get access to.
0: So that, was that a direct result of your time uh, working with the uh, Defence Forces as, a, as an embedded journalist? Or was that a – because well, you've obviously I, got experience uh, in wars. Oh I, well, the, the, I
2: think that came after, in fact, um, right. Australian War Memorial gig. The, 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 my OJ gig was before that. Um, so I was well, – I'm not sure. There was a lofty title at the time. Something like uh, the official war photographer, the first official war photographer since the Second World War or something. Wow. Um, the Australian War Memorial. So it wasn't really for the ADF, it was for the Australian War Memorial. Yes. Um, so it was, you know, it was basically to, you know, record what I saw. Um, the Australian Defence Forces, you know, the RAF, Navy, and uh, and the Army. Um, so I started off in Qatar and Kuwait, Qatar, ended up in Baghdad, and just photograph what I saw. Look at the time. it. It was pretty heavily protected. It felt like an idiot had never reported to be honest. Um <laughs> you know, might have <laughs> i
0: have I think you said that you, you, you kind of missed the opportunity to get amongst the people because you were too busy well, not, you know, metaphorically in the tank, you know, in the in the APC, in the personnel <laughs> carrier.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. It was a it was a boy's own adventure, you know, you sort of do ship to ship transfers and flying sea kings and seahawks and um, I was on an American P T boat going up. Into southern Iraq, and then on a, um, you know, I was at on the North Peninsula and Al Assad Air Base just after the SAS captured the air base. So, um, but wasn't at the time, it was always like a day or two after, you know, so a little bit frustrating for a photo but still nobody else was lining up the time to send me anywhere. So, it's still a great opportunity. And I enjoy it, I have no regrets. Um, but it would have been nice to, be, to have had the finances to stay on as a freelance. Uh, but no, it's complicated times and interesting all the same. It's such a long time ago now. Very the memories. It's almost like watching an old movie or
0: something. Yeah, I, I I'd, I'd imagine that that would be that sensation, uh, especially uh, you know when you're in, and I suppose in that in that sort of embedded position, it would be a little bit like doing an annual report because you're there to make the ADF and and all the branches and and everything that look like they look from the war memorial's perspective.
2: Yeah, um, look, look, it's almost like um. It wasn't exactly dynamic at the time. I mean, there were, force protection was everything. They didn't want Australians to, to suffer any losses at that stage. It was such a, an interesting time for us to go into conflict. You know, I, mean, I remember seeing a, I think it was a PX somewhere, it might have been in Catherine, seeing that the little triumvirate flag, the Australian flag, the US flag, and the British flag, and thinking, he well, said we could swear, didn't you? But, uh, Yeah. Thinking trouble, basically. <laughs> 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 I mean, not believing for a second that weapons of mass destruction or... yeah. Um, even when we got to the El Salvador Air Base, you know, you'd struggle to put together two or three anti aircraft weapons um, with what was on the ground. Um, no, it was, a, it was a complicated time, and, you know, we now know a better perspective on it from
0: well, hindsight.
2: Looking back, and yeah, hindsight, exactly. Um, yeah, it was a lot more disturbing if you'd known what we know now back then.
0: Yeah. And um, uh, did do, do you ever feel that, uh, you know, I mean, I've I've a huge fan of of sort of Kappa's work and and before that, you know, Hurley and people who really broke and I'm like I've just in the middle of reading a Wilkins book, well, the book about Wilkins, the Polar Explorer, and, and the talk talk about his time with Hurley, you know, working in, you know, in ridiculous conditions in 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 World War One. Uh like that's a, a, a different kind of world and, and especially running around with equipment. I mean, talk about film. That's not even film. You know, we're talking glass plates on the, on the front. Can you imagine it? It's...
2: I, mean, I think that because Hurley was a, you know, he was a postcard photographer in Sydney, wasn't he? Mm. Um, I think he shot that way in some ways. I mean, a lot of the sort of constructs and, then, um, and he's just sandwich slides and things just to, for effect. And I think he had a bit of a falling out with Charles Bean. So an interesting history, um, Frank Hurley. Um, but he's a man of his times, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think he when he went, he headed up the unit that went to the Second World War and he's working with Damien Parent. I think they had a bit of a falling out over the ethics of the way they work. So, you know, every evolution, we move a step closer to a different sensibility to how we work. Something that worked back for Hurley in the First World War wouldn't apply today in covering conflict.
0: No, I mean, the job, what Hur- Hurley was doing, is, in, well, I don't know if he's actually selling the war, but. I think that's why he was sent there why he was given permission because they thought that perhaps he'd he'd help sell war bonds or whatever keep people signing up um, th- does that you've obviously tracked that evolution a little bit and where we are now uh, I in, in interviewing Murray White a, a few episodes ago or maybe it was the last whatever um Murray was talking about sort of lamenting the lack of publications that would allow a photojournalist to, to really travel and do week-long stories, you know, really deep, deep stories. How are you finding, how is, what's your perspective on, on that right now and, and, and modern photojournalism?
2: Uh, look, there's, there's very few opportunities. I mean, there's a handful of photographers that do okay. I mean, the New York Times sometimes dish out a decent assignment to some, you know, well-connected photographers. Um, I think there's a, one or two on assignment in Bangladesh that were there for a few weeks, and the, and the coverage was extraordinary. So, but it's a pretty rare thing. Um, in fact, it was always rare. There's no real golden age that I can remember or have any sort of fond memories of it. It was always tough. You know, I, luckily I work in the film industry, which helps provide the funds to, I'd work in a film for two or three months and then head off and do a story. So I'd, I'd fund it myself. And most assignments, the sort of assignments I get, like the ones I'm getting locally are, are for a day, you know. And even overseas, you could pick up on It's four or five days, even the days of Time Magazine or Stern they weren't really long-term assignments. Um, they were short. So, you know, if you've got your expenses covered if you've done okay, um, and then you try to have that body of work that you can on sell at some stage, but it's pretty hard. I mean, we know there's a lot of images out there and there's a lot of, well, some old-term citizen journals, but, you know, there are people with like iPhones that are covering everything. You know, the, the George, George Floyd. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, was shot by, what, a 17-year-old girl on an iPhone. Um,
0: and it was bit, pretty it was pretty straight and well done and believable, and it was the truth, wasn't it?
2: Well, these kids, they're, they're holding these things all the time. They know they have an iPhone, you know. Um, so, and, and when that stuff gets picked up, it's free. So any sort of sense of a profession is pretty much been diluted to such an extent that it's, it's harder than ever to earn a living out of creating those kind of images and to be on that spot you're not going to be there. It's a fluke, you know, yeah. but everyone is on every spot with an iPhone. They're yeah. um, not doing selfies, they're doing things like that, pointing at whatever's happening in front of them. That's what you're competing with. So that spot news gathering is you know, it's a tough way to make a living. And I, I never did that anyway, really, you know. Um,
0: I never saw myself
2: as a street photographer. I always have to have a decent reason to point a camera at somebody.
0: More of an editorial approach to, to things, more broader storytelling.
2: Yeah, that's that's a pretty good way to sum it up, really. Um, and it is storytelling. I, mean, I think, you know, my heroes were the Gene Smiths and uh, Joseph Goodell, Kazan Kappa, and that whole Maiden tradition traditional, you know, born of the Second World War. Um, Eugene Richards, I, you know, I wish I could shoot like half of them. I mean, that's, you know... Uh, but then, I'm still fortunate that I can still call myself a photographer after three decades um,
0: well that that is actually you know really fantastic if you if you distill it down and think about that because there's not a lot of people that are are getting gigs um I spoke to a, a chap who just got a job with a with a newspaper he's actually employed by a newspaper. <laughs> to shoot, and I said, "Really? Someone has got a job in photography, at like a full-time, regular, salaried position in photography." And he said, "Yeah, I'm out for the NT News. You know, <laughs> oh,
2: there's headlines in the country.
0: <laughs> oh, I know, it's fabulous." But he said, "There's, there's a couple of us. Darwin's a great place. Everybody knows everybody. I'm having the time of my life." He said, "I'm, I'm so pleased to actually." be doing this. And yes, you're right. The best headlines in the country.
2: It's not a bad place to live. I love Darwin. You know, I don't get up there enough, but, um, yeah, a lot of great stories out there. You know, the Australian bushes, you don't have to drive far for that. It's great. That's fantastic. And the people are extraordinary. You know, there's so many interesting things. I'm not, you know, the, the headlines sound kind of out there, but that's Darwin. You know, that's that's, that's the what end. he
0: said. He said, you don't believe it, but half this stuff actually happens.
2: I'm sure yeah. kangaroos are falling in love with sheep and stuff out there. And it's just one of those odd places. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah yeah hilarious i mean you did your, your last page you said you're working bream on a film uh
2: last one was mystery rose a tv series uh i worked on a kids tv series after that for a few days too I thing called talus so that, that's all interest and the locations are fantastic and you know and half the film crew i'm working on watch grow up i've known it for you know for years so it's kind of a family thing it's like a bunch of carnival misfits and artisans and um, no, I enjoy the film it's, You know, I you know, literally, I think the first film I was shot was in the early '80s, or worked on. So, so I've been doing it a long time. So, it's actually, like two, like, two powerful careers.
0: Sorry, would you want to just tell, give us an idea of your when you picked up a camera and and why you picked up a camera and when that was? And
2: oh, look, I was a working musician from 15 to 25. I was called to become a guitar player.
0: Wow. So, what sort of what sort of music?
2: It was sort of jazz and blues. I was a bad jazz player and a half decent blues player. Um, okay. Yeah, I was never good enough to be honest I'm still not but I, I do love music it's it's probably you know, next to my wife my second love right? or third after my son
0: you be careful that one <laughs> well yeah, done getting Martine in number two position that's
2: I'm, great I'm not working I've, I've been in minefields before <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing like this
0: yeah yeah no, it was kind of I was a musician and I I, I bought a
2: camera it just just part of a hobby and I, and I always love photojournalism I love I read every magazine book I could get My hands on, Um, you know. So I kind of was aware of photojournalism. I always thought that was most important style of photography. I wasn't really interested in anything else. I mean, I, I had a, you know, brief interest in fashion and a few other things. So, um, but no, I just wanted to see the world. And I felt stuck as a musician. I mean, the gigs weren't that much fun. I was a pickup musician working. Doing everything from you know weddings to per- parents without partners, poultry growers association functions, and um, and I half the time I turn up and I hadn't even met musicians before, so you'd just be there and it wasn't fun in the end. And you know I was young and I wanted to jam and they were sort of old and jaded and it just didn't seem like that healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And I wanted to see the world. Like, I couldn't imagine dragging cameras in an amp around, but I could do it with a camera that's yep. so kind of that so at 25 i just sold the guitars and jumped on a plane and started doing a few travel pictures and then getting some things published and then started heading towards the middle east and doing a slightly different style of work i started emulating my heroes the Cappers and the smiths and the don mccullen was another hero of mine um certainly you know you could any body work near to that um but it wasn't for lack of trying and I sort of compromised a little bit. I still want to have a half decent life, and not just be stuck doing just the one thing. Yeah. So you know, i was never had to kill myself doing the profession, but I, I, I just wanted to have an interesting life.
0: And you picked up a Walkley in '97, so that's that's film era, isn't it? That's late a film, wasn't it? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Haven't done much since, mate.
0: Um, well, that's, well, you have actually, but it may not have been a Walkley. I mean, <laughs> no, nah, like,
2: I'm not a big fan of awards and things to be no. honest. you. No. I think half the time I'm on a lot of judging panels because everyone else is too busy entering. Yeah. I
0: actually really struggle with that personally, and you know, over the years we've obviously, as a business, we've benefited from it, as as a lot of printing has. But I just think it's such a distraction.
2: Look, if, if you do it for the right reasons, as a bit of fun, then I think it's okay. But if you take it too seriously, and yourself too seriously, then you're missing the point. Um, and if I, you know, I don't want people to tell me that then winning an the award is going to be of any benefit to the people they have been photographing. That's just nonsense. Um, so yeah, no. Look, I, I think it's an okay thing. It can help your career. That's a shame in a way. Um, I remember I remember I had a high profile agent say, so, "Well, how can we promote him? He hasn't won a World Press." Um, but, you know, I haven't entered World Press that many times in the 30 years I've been a photographer. I, half the time I forget, and half the time it just doesn't mean that much. So I know it can make a difference career-wise, and I think that's a bit of a shame. But um, that's life, I guess. But the whole competition thing and. The, you know, I enjoy hanging out with photographers in the field and I've worked alongside and got similar images to someone I've never thought a moment about. Like, I've always thought about the story first and the photographer second. So I like company. I like talking about gear and having a bit of fun. And You know, I, I, and if I see someone I generally like and I smile with my eyes, I think that's an important thing. Um, I mean, I've had photographers say things about me that I've never even met. Yeah. Um, I think that whole thing, you know, it can be toxic that level of competition yeah uh, so yeah. i think the wars contribute to that uh, in some ways if, if you do it the right reason it's fun if not it, it's
0: it's uh, it's an odd i mean I, I, there's so much about them I, I i do like and i do like the camaraderie camaraderie around you know getting work together and ready and all that sort of stuff but it seems to be that in the absence of actual things to do people are doing the awards and it's a bit like sport isn't it and sports are a great thing but there's only a few people that can be professional athletes and actually get some benefit out of it the rest of it yes you want to play it on the weekend go for it but for it to dominate your life uh which is where the awards do for some people it seems to be all they they're really interested in
2: look and that's up to them i mean i'm going kind to of sleep over there worrying too much about whether they will lose something i it's not holding me back so I don't think about it. So
0: No, um, and you're not saying it because you've only won, won a Walkley. And <laughs> well, yeah, I, have
2: to, I have to win it and stop. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, that's it. Well, that's the thing to do, like like Grace Kelly, you know? Don't, don't right. wait to get too old to drop off the perch because <laughs> keep that beauty forever, you know?
2: Well, I, can't, I haven't done that. Um, <laughs> I didn't manage that, well, but you know, I was never that good looking, so I, I had nothing to lose there, right?
0: <laughs> but you could play the guitar, which, you know, and no, you're no, they, just, they're pretty it big was, things.
2: It was never good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never, know. Look, it's a great introduction. To things I was I was painfully shy. Um, Were you? As a man. Um, so the camera was, even then, to bring a camera up and take a picture of someone, I found the hardest thing on the planet to do, you know. Well, I'd love to, well, you mentioned Trent earlier. I'd love to have you know, Trent, you, could, you know, he couldn't talk to him until you heard the soft click of his like his shutter go off because he was so focused. Yeah.
0: Uh, he still is. He...
2: Yeah, I haven't seen any phrase. I had a brief chat with the text with uh, either Trent and Narell. It, it was a little bit of But, you know, they're talent and I love the way they work and I love that work ethic. Um, you know, it is extraordinary, and it's all about the work with them. I always love that too. Both equally talented, and, um, and just a lovely comparison. Thanks
0: before. Yeah, it's wonderful seeing their work together, and 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 seeing the parallels. Uh, how they both see this, a similar situation. Uh, I think there's, I think that's one of my. I think it's why the AIPP has always been a, a, a thing I've I've loved because of, and and awards for that reason because there's you see a subject that everybody else sees, and then you see all these different perspectives on it. And, yeah. And, and, and talking about why someone's approached it from that angle and how that makes their story different. It's, it, it is one of the great things. And as you said, you like speaking to photographers, and I'm sure that's a part of the conversation.
2: Well, it's getting hard. It's tricky now too. Um, you know, there's there a term of West, white Western male gaze and um, parachutes, like parachute photography in a way. And I think I touched on that earlier when I was talking about that different idea about what the responsibilities are um, in telling somebody else's story, or a different culture's story, because now there's movement saying, you know, more diversity and maybe a person from a particular culture should be the only person to tell that story. And um, it's certainly a little more complicated now as to how you approach a job or, you know, whether you're worthy enough to actually tell the story. Um, Did
0: you ever feel that you couldn't?
2: Oh, many times. Um, Because sometimes you dictated space and travel and um, getting close to something. I mean, that whole thing that happens, you know, if if it's not good enough, you're not close enough. It's not just about shooting conflict. It's about understanding what's happening in front of you. You know, you've got to understand the cultural significance of the people and what their daily life is before you can actually tell the story properly. I think that's complicated. Um, Especially from someone who's jumped on a plane from Igal River and will be back home in about five to four weeks or something. So I think, yeah, you know, I think a lot about that, about whether I've actually succeeded in telling some of the stories, not just using people as symbols of an event. Yeah. Um, no, it's complicated. didn't um, about it too much, you can lose sleep, really.
0: No, no, but it's 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 tremendous privilege that we romp around the globe with, you know, from our beautiful little country, you know. Look, it is. And I think
2: that that word privilege is something that we have is a bit of a burden when it comes to telling other people's stories. Um, You know, it's like you're some sort of accidental tourist or something. Um, Even though, you know, you're trying to do the right thing and you believe you're doing it for the right reasons, I think you still have to question yourself and, you know, you're not always going to get that right. And there are plenty of people out there willing to judge you because of that um, these days with social media being what it is. There's a lot of um, watchers working in the background with an opinion about who it is you are and what it is you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, especially when there's so much. You know, real change happening, and and you know, real tension. You see it with the the Black Lives Matter uh, imagery, and you see it with the just the general protesting that's happening, and and the you know, particularly in the United States, the choice of the government to you know to send federal troops into uh, areas which it are completely un, unneeded, basically for a photo opportunity. Yeah, well, look, the
2: Black Lives Matter has become more of a movement now rather than just an ideal. Um, so sometimes that sort of thing get railroaded as well. Um, but certainly you know, Trump's setting of federal authorities in such an unconstitutional way. It's, it seems that way.
0: Um, oh, I think it's pretty much unconstitutional. And just seeing the what he's quote-unquote fighting, um, yeah. I think it's there to... I mean, I, I was tr- playing with the idea, OK, what's he actually trying to achieve? And I can't see anything other than a, a, a brief... Show of force because they can go nowhere. They, these people aren't going to shoot a, a string of mums with arms linked. Well, they might. Well, they might, but where's that going to get them other than uh, uh, off the dance card?
2: You well, know? If people can have sort of weapons, people who die accidentally. I mean, you know, a large percentage of people dying in the Vietnam War were friendly fire. It's something the Americans back then never talked about. It was a large percentage of people dying because there were too much weapons by the ill trained people. Um, Seeing those militias wandering fully armed with AK-47s hanging off their chests, it's an extraordinary sight. And you don't see the feds putting that down. It seems almost as if they're encouraging that by the fact they're not doing anything about that.
0: Yeah, and yet you saw the, 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 the black version of the militia, which yeah. were well-armed African-American men, uh, which have every right to the to, the yeah. dumb white guys in the same situation. I yeah. found that was a very interesting visual contrast and...
2: You know? Well it depends on how it's reported too. I've been talking to a lot of people are reporting on it, and saying you know, a lot of majority of the protests are actually peaceful. Um, so you've got to you've got to have that balance when you're reporting because sometimes that you know if it bleeds it leads. So you've got to be careful as to how you put that in front of people. So maybe the peaceful image reason is um prominent as some of the other stuff. So you, you know, it's a responsibility of responsible journalism as to how we tell the story. Um, I'm not there so I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but I do have friends that are there telling me that a lot of what they're seeing is peaceful, that's stuff that they're focusing on, so they think that's just wrong, you know, the feds coming in and, you know, a, a, a patch not really being identified, all well, the faces they're covered, they're driving around unmarked cars and pulling protesters off the street, and yeah. that's worrying, um, yeah. Yeah. and it's disturbing, it, 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 you know, it unsettles people, and that's probably the reason they're doing it, and then, you know, people are talking about the potential for civil war. Um, I mean, if it's possible. It wasn't that long ago they had an actual civil war in the state, so people are gearing up for it. and They seem to be armed. Probably better armed than they were back then in the nineteenth century. So
0: yeah, it's been—it's actually probably forty years of the making what we're seeing now of, you know, of of American policy and you know allowing things to run out and and interpreting the Constitution the way they everyone seems to want to interpret it. All uh, free
2: speech and the right to bear arms is pretty much.
0: So, so, as a, as a as a journalist, and I know you this is, you can't really speak personally, but from what your understanding of it, being in being find yourself in a situation like that with a camera and you're there and you cut there to cover protest. How do you how could you set about trying to work out what's going on in front of you there so that you cover or would you cover it from sympathetic to both sides or and just so you've got all the material? What how would you approach that?
2: Like you'd have to talk to both sides, I think. You'd have to. Um, a lot of the problem with covering protests, sometimes, you know, if you're getting close to something, you don't want people to go harder because you're there. It seems now that a lot of the journalists that are covering have been targeted themselves by the police. I mean, you know, I saw a videographer the other day have, you know, a, I'm not sure it was a rubber bullet or a water bullet, but certainly projectile, pretty much almost knocked his eye out. He um, was sort the of damaged, you know, he said he blood on his eye and damaged gas mask, and um, so they're deliberately targeting journals. So it doesn't matter if you've got press or TV, you know, attached to you. It. It's just, um, it's a risk. So to cover that, first off you've got to be safe. So you've got to be smart, you've got to know what the basic politics are. There. You've got to know who the, the players are. So if you've got a militia with you have to know who they are, where they've come from, who are... If they're a spokespeople for the Black Lives Matters cause then, or if it's just ordinary protesters, you've got to kind of be discerning as to what is your photographing the responsibility of what could happen, happen once those pictures are published? Yep. There's even a bit, of a, you know, a bit of a backlash coming out about people's rights to privacy on the streets now. That's become a real topic about you know, blurring faces and asking permission from people you're photographing in situations like that. So that's, in some way, that's another erosion of freedom that we have to be careful of. Um, I do, look, personally, I, I would never put anyone at risk. But if I thought that my photo was going to be abused or misused, then I'd probably shoot that in a different way. Um, but if someone's doing something illegal, then your right to photograph someone on the, on the street allows you to photograph that event without any form of censorship. So but you've just got to be aware of what the consequences are. Of um, course, they're
0: different in different countries. Uh, so, so when you did travel overseas, did you get a bit of a feel for how that works in each country before you dropped in? Yeah, well, often. I mean, I look well,
2: to be often. I oh, if I should be saying this and getting it on record, but when I went to Bangladesh, I didn't go on a journalist visa because I, you know, it takes such a long time to get it, I've missed that part of the story. So, you know, that complicates things. Um, then, if you get pulled over, then you could, you know, you risk arrest at the very least, deportation. Um, so, you know, you, and it, it'd be no different than somebody coming in here and thwarting laws in why um, to tell a story. You know, if we find somebody here working as a journalist and they haven't got the right credentials, the same thing, they can face the They
0: plead, plead ing- ignorance and then walk out yeah. p- potentially with a camera full of interesting pictures.
2: Well, that's basically how most of us have done things over the last few decades. Um, because sometimes, you know, at times you, there were places I used to work where I couldn't get visas, yeah. so I was put on the list. Um, but you still find a way of getting in as a tourist or something like that, and, you know, you're kind of... Um, you've always got that in the back of your mind. It's kind of a dodgy way to do business, but it was the only way I always saw that as a form of censorship, that they were deliberately trying to prevent you from coming and revealing something. So course. you kind of, of had course. to take that higher-than-mighty attitude that what you were doing was for the good. Yeah. Does um, that make sense? No, it does. There's,
0: it does. It does. Because I think... I know uh, with my interview with Murray White, his experience in North Korea was a very guided experience, and yeah. the challenge is to... How do you tell that story around? But that in itself is an interesting story. I mean, it's yeah. like obviously fake. The whole experience of being there.
2: Look, I guess it, it's a David Goodenfeld has spent some time there. Very good American time. I think he got some great stuff. But it took a long time, mm. and even to be based there was kind of a, a remarkable thing. Mm. And to so that kind of work and not be arrested. It didn't seem to take much in a place like that, but. Uh, yeah, no, it's, no it's, we, we haven't really seen what it's like on the ground in a place like North Korea. Right.
0: Have you had any, ever had any fear in any of the locations you were?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, been, I've had good days and bad days for sure. Um, I think when you're fearless, it's kind of a dangerous thing to be. That's when it's more dangerous because, you know, you, you're running out of adrenaline. So I think it's smart to have at least some trepidation or some, you know... Like no, no pictures were dying for, i never believe that for a second. But sometimes you go down the wrong street and There's no way of getting out and you've just got to wing it um, But I've had times when I kind of wish I was somewhere else more than a few times, you know, I mean I've been detained and been beaten, I've been tear-gassed, I've been shot, at. had a loaded gun thrown back of my car I had a, a Chevy thrown through a glass door I'd just run through, so it has been plenty of You think that's in 30 years. It sounds pretty dramatic when you tell it in the space for a few seconds but at the time it's so quick and so scrappy that most things like I find any little bit of conflict I've seen is often scrappy and over in minutes. It's not like World War II or Vietnam War movies where it goes on for hours. Um, Most people just want to do their bit be a bit nasty and get the hell out before what they're doing to others happens to them.
0: Yes, because they're guerrilla small conflicts. They're you know, street to street sort of stuff, and not big organized pre- conflicts.
2: It's pretty scrappy stuff, it is. Um, but it makes it interesting pictures, and then you go. And so half the time you're telling the stories from the, you know, um, I don't know if you saw it, victims' kind of or the survivors, survivors' perspective.
0: Does it help being the tall white guy in that situation?
2: Sometimes it does. I mean, Patrick Brown, a friend of mine, just found an old newspaper thing where I think they were burning American flags and outside the American embassy in Jerusalem, um, in uh, Jakarta. Sorry, yep. um, and you know, I was in the background, standing head and shoulders above everybody. And I was described as security personnel. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's <was> pretty funny. <laughs>
0: do, you, do you think? Do you think? Um, if you found yourself in um in in a, in a, in a particularly political situation these days, particularly around things like Black Lives Matter, you'd find your photography would be less in the in the. – you'd be taking a side. Do you think that would would, would happen? Uh, like, do you think journalism is – I get a feeling there's, a, there's a quite a bit of – and I don't think it's a bad thing, but journalists yeah. are started to take a bit more of a side these days. Look, I think
2: especially when you look at, you know, I mean, you know how everyone is pro front They talk about mainstream media and that you can't trust it um, – which is extraordinary. There's no amount of evidence you can put in front of them that's ever going to change the way they think about mm. that. Um, so yeah. you know, they'll just get, discount whatever the Atlantic or the you know, Washington Post and New York Times puts yeah. in front of them for that die-hard belief that Trump's the man for the job. You know? <sighs> um, <I> just... <laughs> so yes. For, for, so we're, we're not seen as bipartisan anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, we're just not trusted and we're told not to be trusted. When Trump comes out and says, you can't trust these people, they're liars it's all fake news, then it makes it a dangerous place to work. Um, the same thing too, it's like, you know, that whole thing about, there's a bill being put forward, where they're trying to say, you know, buried within is that whole thing about getting permission from the people you photograph, um, which is different from the responsibility of understanding how to works a responsible journalists. It's saying, if I have to up to everyone on the street and say, do you mind if I take your photograph? You know, that's not viable journalism Um, in fact it'll make it dangerous because once people think they have that right to tell you to stop they'll enforce that uh, in in many different ways you know there's no polite conversations with things like that Um, but when people know we have the freedom to tell the story and people understand that what we're trying to do is tell their story it's it's almost collaborative in some ways but still you have to be relatively bipartisan well, look, it's not about being my past. It's about trying at least your idea of what the truth is of the situation, Yeah, that makes sense. So it's all, it's all that seeking of the truth and trying to put this forward as factual information, anything but fake news.
0: Yeah, I, I, f- I just feel that, that the response from what I've heard from speaking and listening to other journalists talk that it's gone a little bit past it being easy to do because they're battling the idea of they're being told what they're doing is generating fake news. So... In many ways, they're going, yeah, no, um, this isn't. So in many ways, they're fighting for their own, uh, their own reality.
2: Yeah. Um, well, that's what you can live. That's what you can take with you when you go that's You said part of your set of tools is to, you know, your own experiences as a journalist or a photojournalist or a photographer or a human being. Um, you know, you can never be completely bypassing because you can't leave your humanity behind. I mean, there's something in front of you that's wrong. It's wrong um, in your mind. That's what that's it is. A,
0: it's not Republican, Democrat, it's right or wrong. It's not yeah. left or right, that's it's right a, or wrong.
2: Either something's right or something's wrong. You try to make sense of it and deliver something that symbolises that in a way. Um, but we know that's complicated. You can make a crowd look big by getting it close or you can stand back and make a crowd look small. Yeah. Um, so that's perspective, point of view, um, and bias—that's a human nature thing. So we've got to grapple with those things and question everything we do as well. And then hopefully, at the end of it, amongst all of it, there's an element of the truth. But I still get people delivering me speeches by, you know, um, conspiracy theorists that you know believe that reptiles control the world. You know, shape-shifting reptiles. Are <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so. Oh, It'd be nice yeah. to have some
0: some reason that we get to find out in the end. Other you
2: know. moon follow, and we will all being controlled from there. I mean, anything's possible. You know? I'm just waiting for the zombies to turn up. I mean, there's such a bizarre world we live in at the well. I moment. Who was expecting this virus so close to climate change? It's like the the agenda's been shifted completely. So I can see where the conspiracy theories are, why they're popping out.
0: Well, modern pharmaceuticals can make some pretty impressive zombie-like behaviour.
2: Uh, well, and they said there's a zombie-like nature to the virus itself, so they are there. But uh, what do you think about it? You know, we had those wildfires that were major news before that climate change. And that was part of the climate change. And now that's almost completely off the table. No one's thinking or talking
0: about it. Yeah. that's the Actually, that's probably the big tragedy. Because a lot of what's happening is, while it's absolutely critical, it's 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 fabulous debate about where the world's going. And it's critical. Yeah. And it's so important that we're seeing protesters. And at some point we're seeing, you know, uh, um, people resisting violence and acting in certain violent ways to counter what's going on so that's great but what we've forgot is this tragedy of both climate climate change fires you know the stuff that's actually like really destroying the planet not just how we live on it well it's a planet
2: we still all share but i think if anything you know places become more nationalistic and more apartist um if that's even a word
0: or tribal it tribal it's
2: well, tribalism is something we've you know, we got, got to be cautious of. I mean, there's something about having a village atmosphere, but a tribal thing is complete, something completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's separatist. But, um, yeah. We are in this together. We've got to find out a way of being able to communicate that. We've got something as polarising as a Black Lives Matter protest and then there's a backlash towards, you know, I'm hearing the term white supremacy being thrown around a lot more now. Oh, if that like- you know, so went from white privilege, now it's white supremacy. Um, well, they're
0: just a bunch of scared people who don't want to lose the power they've always had, you know?
2: Or, or, or a fighting to get or to gain. It's like, you know, we, we've come a long way. It's not the 60s, it's not the 50s, it's not the 30s. Um, yeah. But now it seems to be regressing a little bit, and I think that's a shame. We do need to work together on this, no matter what race we are or what gender we are. Yeah, You know, the, the ideal is to have a colour-blind and gender-blind world, and I think anything that separates that um, or, or builds... And you know, we need bridges, not walls, effectively. It's a simple way to put it. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So so just, you know, you mentioned 30s, 40s backwards, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and that kind of stuff. To get work like you create scene, it had to go through gatekeepers. It had to get to the press, had to go through editors and, and gatekeepers. And, of course, we all know that the great publishers, uh, you know, even Murdoch included, have their own version of gatekeeping and... And so in many, in some ways, the idea of what actually was news back then and what was controlled news, you know, you had to look at it. I mean, Ouija was out there with a camera on the streets of New York looking for stuff that was bleeding and making people feel like utter terror at the city they live in. Um, and, of course, it wasn't a great city back then, but it was photojournalism being used that way. So do you think it's gotten better because anyone can publish or, or is it worse because everyone can publish? I think it's worse
2: because everyone can publish in a way. I mean, I, look, at think Ouija is an interesting example. I haven't really thought about that, that the whole naked city thing was something to be frightened of. I I wasn't living in New York. For me, it was like, young Australian guy growing up in the morning to the Peninsula thinking Ouija was this amazing photographer. I wasn't even thinking about the people in the pictures as a young person, if that makes sense. Then when you start going out there and you see somebody die or see somebody dead on the ground and you start thinking about their family and, even covering the tsunami, you know, you'd see things that didn't look human anymore because of the, what the weather had done to them and the conditions in the ocean. And yet you'd just see a, gold, a tiny gold chain around an ankle or, you know, a, a man just in a singlet. And, and, and I'm seeing the person get dressed in the morning in my head in a way. So you're kind of humanising what it is you're seeing, and yet you're turning that into a two-dimensional object that effectively is black and white. In fact, that's a great example as to how... When I was shooting, I felt so obscene to be turning that into compositions. I started shooting colour just for a historical record and not thinking of it as a craft. Um, you know, in fact, that I almost I felt like giving up photography after that. It just didn't seem...
0: There were no good and bad guys
2: like we were talking about earlier. This was just an act of nature and it was just... Yeah. What good was I going to be doing, you know? Um,
0: it seemed very voyeuristic, I'd imagine, Uh it can do. Look,
2: I, I was there for a reason. I am a photojournalist. That's, that's why I was there. Um, that's my job. That's my chosen profession, my craft, my career. And I always told myself I understood the responsibilities of it is to tell a story and bring the stuff back. So even if it's just creating something for historical records, so people can't say it didn't happen.
0: Yeah.
2: That was purpose enough, I guess. Um, but still, it, it didn't sit easy. Um, the fact, in you know, a photograph, you can't smell what you're smelling um,
0: thankfully um,
2: And you're not seeing it in three d well no and you know you're wearing that that smell when you come out of those places um it sticks with you and things trigger it. I can still smell that occasionally. going in a certain place something will bring it back, and it transports you back to that
0: so do you feel at the time when you're you're pointing your camera around that you you are feeling ob- obligated to to put that smell on your pictures? Um, so that people who look at them, because you know the things that influenced you in the beginning, the first uh, I believe the Mylai massacre photographs were something that you just that stuck in your brain as a twelve-year-old. No,
2: um, oh, it's instrumental. Um, I mean, when I became a photographer, that was the kind of work I'd never seen anything like that. I'd never seen pictures of the dead people before. I was just sitting in a doctor's office, and there was this beautiful archival pictures in Life magazine as a spread. And you've got people there alive and then dead in a ditch, and you've got a young woman who's doing up her blouse, and she's dead in the ditch not long after. And it's colour. and, and it's in colour,
0: and it sm- yeah. and it smells. It, sm- it smells. I mean, I'm not. I've never, I've never been where you've been. I've never seen what you've seen, but it, I can feel it.
2: Look, I, I think it'd be hard for the, the new generation to actually be moved in the same way as that, though. You know, my son plays war games on his PlayStation um, with his mates, and they're you know. I'll try to get him off to have lunch, and he'll say, "Oh, dinner." he'll say, "I can't, Dad. The others are depending on me." You know, it becomes real to them. So I'm not sure how if they saw something like that, whether it would have the same effect, or whether I guess what I'm saying is, have we been desensitised um, because of an amount of imagery in that sense of what's real and what's not real, and what's fake and what's not fake, and all this stuff being thrown at them? I mean, you know, we've got kids now on their iPads, <clears throat> Googling, hitting YouTube, and Whatever the hell it is, they're doing TikTok. Or, I'm not sure where they're getting their, their, their influences from.
0: Careful, you're sounding old now, David. You don't want to <laughs> be the grumpy old man who's picking on people looking at their iPads too much. <laughs>
2: it's not hard to be grumpy. At some <laughs> you know, like you know, my son will have a bar so he can stay horizontal. Yet he's got so much going for it. You know, yeah, um, he's a bright kid. But a lot of kids just try to get away with the least amount of work. Um, and I, I'm not talking about it in a competitive sense, I'm talking that about in having lived. You get one shot of life. Yeah. You want to do it as well as you possibly can. I mean, I, the reason I stopped being a musician as wonderful as music was. I was gigging at night, I was hitchhiking to the gigs, and it just wasn't pleasant in the end. You know, I was playing for people who were half smashed and didn't really care if I was up there or not. You know, it was just, they were getting married, they were having fun, and you were just the background, yeah. providing the music. And I wanted to see the world. I wanted to learn. I wanted to... You know, if I could have transported myself back to the time of Alexander the Great, or that would be incredible, because it wasn't that long ago, and we we don't live long enough to understand that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of the problem. You know, we haven't really learned from history. We haven't evolved that much. We have we have bigger sticks we can hit each other with. That's about it. Um we've probably more done more damage this last century than's ever been done in the in the history of mankind to the planet. Um, yet we still have trouble resolving it. We have art which makes us think we're a little bit more special than we are, and I think that's one of the wonderful things people have created is music and art, and we should celebrate that because that's the only thing that separates us.
0: Um. No, I think that's there. Do do you feel like I've got uh, 17 and a 16-year-old daughter, and I feel that the empathy is off the scale in what they feel and understand, and they're so much more advanced than I was at that age. Now, I understand (laughs) the criticism...
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean that's uh you mean they're more socially and politically aware or
0: Yeah, I think they're more socially and politically aware, but I also think they feel more deeply what's going around them and and I think whilst you are deeply affected by those photographs, I think I I think my children would be equally as affected by them. And I think they spend an equally as amount of time prone, you know, looking at their devices and as you said, TikToking or whatever. But they I I remember my you know, I was born in seventy and it was, it was pretty gentle growing up, but it was pretty rough, and and there was certainly a hell of a lot of racism. There's a hell of a lot of bullying. It was just the way it was, and we certainly didn't give a give it two hoots what this guy thought about what we just said about him.
2: No, we certainly were, there was nothing politically correct about that generation or my generation before, and there certainly was racist. You know, we came with white Australia policy, and I was yeah. born into that. So you know, I mean, I think we've come a long way. To be honest, for the most part, we don't want to regress or. Um, Because I can see that sometimes it's so polarised between the left and the right, and and the the, the people who believe in the truth and and the conspiracy theorists, and um, it's a complicated planet at the moment. I've got very smart friends who constantly sending me things that are dubious and Mm. seem obviously not real to me, but very real to them. Um, So I think that's the the fear. There's so much information out there. Who, Who do we trust and who do we believe? Well, I, the great concern I have for, the, for your kids and my kids is depression. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you think this is all doom, that this is like the end, is, end of the world is coming, which is what they've been sold with climate change in particular. Yeah. Um, and it is a very real thing, climate change. Um, it's a devastating thing that, we, that we're that we really not doing enough to address. Um, and these kids know that. Um, you know, when I was growing up, even having seen the Milo Massacre, there was still an adventure ahead for me. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, 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 I can understand that.
2: You know, it came out of Camelot. Was, you know, we didn't know about the faults of Jonathan Kennedy. Jonathan Kennedy and his family were something special. So I was, all, I was alive when he was assassinated. You know, we were watching that on television the aftermath of that. You know, I was watching Muhammad Ali or, you know, um, Cassius Clay fighting and loving every second of what we could see on television on a black and white screen. And now kids have got all this stuff delivered to them 24-7. Um,
0: you're, you're a product, though, of great storytelling. Like, you know, you and I ha- have grown up with a great editor yeah. telling great stories. And I think what's happened is that has come away. I think those they've been found to be false. And the depre- depression is, I think, in some ways, is the counter to the empathy. It comes yeah. with empathy and and having the scales fall away from your eyes, or whatever the biblical term is. Um, you know where you know, you see the world for what it is. And I think maybe our, gener- our children are going to struggle with this, but they're better for it because, you know, it's not a Disney world. It never was a Disney world.
2: Well, look, empathy isn't put in... It's not in too many glossaries, and it should be. Um, I think empathy and compassion are the two things that we need to survive this world. Um, and because that, that means you do need to work with each other. Um, to, to make a better world, to build it. You know, we have to have, I mean, I've never been a fan of religion. Um, I've never been racist. Uh, but cultural diversity, I've always loved the idea of going somewhere and being able to witness cultural diversity and celebrate it, as long as it doesn't get in the way of empathy mm. and compassion towards one another, that we don't hit each other in the head because of it. Um, so I'm not sure what the solution to that is, but it does take storytellers to get out there and reveal something in the world, and perhaps let the others know what it is, where about, and, and vice versa.
0: Um, yeah, storytellers and artists. I think the 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 artist. It, I think the artist of is in many ways like the poet. If you look at at the metaphor of writing, the poet is the most distilled version of 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 prose of idea, as opposed to an essay or a novel or whatever. Um, so uh, a poet and and an artist produces these very short things that have incredible meaning if it's done well. Yeah. Uh, and and they, they move.
2: As well. I think everything from, the, you know, court jester to, yes. to take a gift out of somebody, in other words, to help them look at themselves yeah. and see who they might really be and they can get away with it. That's kind of what we need more of. You That's know?
0: right. That's right. The trouble is that artists are incredibly sensitive and, oh, yeah. uh, and then as an antenna to the feelings of the world – it can be very destructive to them and hence the depression I think and that, that can come out.
2: There are probably a few out there that have done really well that aren't probably as sensitive as the traditional artists.
0: <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. Well, David, look, it's about it's an hour now, so we're, oh, we're, on, the, we're on the time. <laughs> tell me, is there anything that you want to tell me what you're doing next, what you're looking forward to? Look, I'm
2: just, I am absolutely just, I'm enjoying reflecting at the moment. You know, it's actually, a, it's a time to think. Um, I haven't given up being a photojournalist, so there'll be other projects ahead. I've just got to work out what it is I really want to do. But I really want to know what it is I really want to do, not just do it for the hell of it, which is kind of the way I did it when I was a young, upcoming photojournalist. I want to be more thoughtful in what I do. Um, I want to create a bit more music. I want to be a good husband, a good father. Um, I I want to be a decent human being. It's it's kind of that sort of, you know, it's the downhill part of my life in a way. Apparently, but I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty good and still fit enough. I mean, the photos don't lie, so I know I'm not as young as I used to be. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's. There's still quite a bit ahead. I, at the moment, I'm concentrating on being a good dad, as well, so I think you know, my son needs me. He's got to have that. I'm wanting to have some support and feel that the world's a decent place. Yeah. He spends a lot of time looking for meaning in science, which I like. He's got. It's exciting. He, well, he says it's an interest in astronomy. I think it's more of an interest in your photos, but. <laughs> you know, it's colourful. So any support I can give him there, I think that's part of it. It's like it's like one step in front of the other. If you can influence one person, then, like I did spend a bit of time going back and forth with some of the conspiracy theory friends of mine saying, you know, maybe you should look at this. Because if you can influence one person, you can, you know, they can influence two and so on. So
0: Correct, correct. The last thing the world needs is another another asshole, really, isn't
2: it? Oh, influence. So I would mind seeing some real newspaper people come back into the profession, you know. Um, they don't have, political motives and at mine when they're doing what it is they do um, we, we need a free press and we need free access that's basically
0: it. absolutely that's what that's what I'm, I feel everyone's fighting for um, in the in the when it comes down to fighting for getting the truth communicated uh, in one way or another it's whether it's you know obviously the press is the easiest way to distribute it but that's what's happening that's what we're in the middle of and that's I think it's quite exciting it's it's tragic but you know, we've been living in a in a in a theatre, in a game for a very long time.
2: Well, we're in a bubble here in WA. Because, I mean, it's, it's almost. Oh, we're like, in heaven, aren't we? <laughs> no. So Adelaide's pretty much the same as South Australia. Heaven. Oh, it's interesting, but um, but look, this, to be honest, the virus isn't going anywhere. At some stage, we're going to have to learn to live with. it. I'm not sure how, but you know, you've got one person turning into 15 million cases around the world, and um, you know, we've got to be smart and safe and caring and not get too angry but just you know i don't know just we, we need to understand more about what's going on that's that's the job of journals really in the end a
0: bit more listening and um yeah a bit more listening and believe and and, and learning from our mistakes and, and getting on with it
2: and as you said oh, earlier, em- empathy and compassion and yeah. um, just be decent that's that's pretty much it
0: well, Dave, thank you so much for, for this hour. I really appreciate it because I know you're, you're enjoying the time and it's, you, know, you should be giving it as much time as possible with your family. What you've done for me is, is fantastic and, and the audience. So, so thank you and uh, we'll see you around, hey?
2: Yeah, I hope so, mate. It'd be nice. It's been a while awesome since we've caught
0: up. Lovely. And, and, and please, uh, uh, tell Martine I'll be, I'll be sending you an invite in the next month and I'd love to have a chat with her if she's interested.
2: Oh no,
0: she'll be interested, mate. She's great, she does speak and she's a dynamo. I mean I look I'm lucky
2: to have her in my life, really. We all are. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well there we go,
0: that was David. David. Yes, David, and we will be booking well extending an invitation to his partner, Martine, to um
1: No, no pressure, Martine, now that we've <laughs> said we're going to ask you, if you say no, then the entire listening audience of the four and a half people that <laughs> listen are going to be really pissed. Four and a half.
0: According to the stats, we're still well over a thousand. But hang
1: on, hang on. Do we actually know what that means? Like could there not be a thousand bloody download creatures? Robots. Like, that, that's right. And then there's only like 20 people listening. Well,
0: let's ask you this question because you're an avid podcast listener. Do you ever get to the bottom of your queue of things you're going to listen to?
1: No, of course not. Today, I mean, I do at some point. Like, I get to them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is it ever empty? Like, my list currently has got one podcast on it, and I maybe have 20. I've had a really good listening week. I've been able to get a lot of work done.
1: Yeah, but you are are very picky. You only have a handful of shows you listen to. I listen to fucking, I think I've got 40 shows I listen to. Mm. So you know, and some of them are da- a lot of them are daily, but the daily ones tend to only be twenty minutes. But but then I also listen a lot more than you. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you. I just don't know how that that RSS the, the feed. And it,
0: regardless, works. I, I use it to when I say to someone, "Would you like to be on the podcast?" I'd love to extend an invitation. Oh, I say, because it does help sell it when you say. Whereas
1: that. I just go, I don't know. I reckon there's probably no one listening. No, it's not. <laughs> so the it case. doesn't matter that I'm sweary, sweary it's not the lady. Case. So tell me. So t- tell me. Tell no, you. because all you've had a shit week because you well, have. Well, every day you have fallen into yes. bed at like midnight, exhausted and full of misery, and your hands are a mess, even with my yeah. magic cream. Wow. And um.
0: Well, they only it's only a mess because they've got developer wedged in the cracks. Uh, we've just had a an older machine, and say uh, was installed in the mid nineteen eighties. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's. Yeah, it's a Older colour, than most of the people processor. listening right now. Yeah, that's right. Color paper processor. So the, the processors, Codex RA, which stands for Rapid Access.
1: So that's our luster, traditional photographic, luster. Traditional yeah. photographic yeah. paper, we call it. Yeah,
0: so the, the, the prints are exposed in the dark yeah, using lasers or LEDs, depending on the machine. And then the paper is taken out and then stuck in the photographic. Process of the chemistry. And it's a wet process. It's a wet process. So the first tank is developer and the second is bleach fix and the third is wash and the fourth is wash and the fifth is wash and the sixth is wash. And then it gets dried, right?
1: And how many labs are still doing this m- demented
0: process? There's a few of them. There's a few. Uh, like a lot of the mini lab machines that use uh, wet labs have a version of this. But the beauty of this machine is you expose the paper separately in a separate machine. And the thing is that the the chemistry and the fumes its just slightly corrosive. So when the machine is attached to, to the exposing device… And
1: we're breathing that in all the time.
0: No, no, there's extractors <laughs> over the top of it. Um, yeah, uh,
1: but when people come in, they go, oh, it smells so good. I'm like, yes, that's our yeah. future
0: lung <laughs> <laughs> issues. So so that, that machine, um, that machine uh, what's happened is the developer has been slowly lowering… Uh, <laughs> And interesting enough, every weekend I would need to top up the heat How? exchanger. How? Where is it going? Well, this is what I'm saying: the heat exchanger that heats the chemistry up to thirty odd degrees, thirty five degrees, whatever it is, uh, I top it up every weekend because it's got an element in it. And then that that water it sits in a bath of water, and then the chemistry gets piped through that water in these stainless steel pipes. And so that that bucket of water it sits in, or that that heat exchanger, the water gets super hot, and then in fact almost boils. And then the chemistry goes in these tubes through it, and um, and what's happened is every weekend I top it up with water because it boils, as I said, it boils off pretty much, so it drops maybe two or three centimeters. Are you losing chemistry
1: or just water?
0: <laughs> chemistry, because they haven't had to top it no, up. Oh, well, it's
1: but. Kodak's fault. They probably popped a hole in it.
0: No, no, no. It's funny. Now they've
1: got to work out their shares again.
0: So yeah, that's right. So so what's happened is the stainless steel tubes that the developer passes through have, and I reckon it's the calcified adelaide water. Oh, you know, water
1: no but don't we put don't we have no, the no, softener? Not for the heat exchanger
0: oh. um uh and so the <laughs> the tubes have slowly eaten through after what 30 years or something like that jesus uh and but we couldn't work out where it was happening and in the end we we took the tubes out james tovo and i our, our service tech he took the tubes out and pressurized them there underwater and could see where the bubbles are coming through and the developer ones would have shot uh so we replaced them but the thing is was you got to imagine a tank of chemistry is seasoned. It's sitting there and has a little bit of fresh chemistry added to it and as it develops things, it ages a bit and as it oxidises through the air, it ages a bit and all this kind of stuff. So it's a beautiful mix that's all fine-tuned. We understand it. So as it's dropping, we've got to top it up with fresh stuff. So we've probably turned half a tank over chasing this problem. Oh, which means we're chasing right. calibration. Right, silver halide prints every, are going up. No, they're not. And every, every time that we heat the machine up, of course the heating is turning the chemistry through the exchanger. So we can't, we have to like put up with this effect. So anyway. Yeah, but
1: you were like, I, I have to go and fill the machine up, see if it's reached temperature. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, by, by Thursday by it Slopping back was fixed. into bed going, it hasn't reached temperature. That's right. Oh my God, you were so
0: miserable. So by, by Thursday it was fixed and we're running and everything's good and it's just like it's new again and Josephine and I chucked all these old hoses away that, which And all the old exchanges. You threw
1: something away?
0: We did. We did. How'd so, that feel? that was my week. Tell me about your week.
1: Well, we've got two new staff members this week.
0: Yes, the are two that are going to be one. They're a job share. Couple.
1: That's right. And that's primarily because um, the poor creatures who do our email, client... Customer service. Customer service. Um, Karen and Laura. That's right. Have... Not had a holiday since 1976,
0: and they're not that old. <laughs> <are they?
1: laughs> and um, and we've ge- we're putting them onto some various other duties, and so we need some people to give them give them a bit of a break. It's actually
0: a bit of the surprise that we, you know, through the pandemic conditions, that we've actually needed staff because we, you know, we did drop hours and everything back early doors, but we've been moderately busy, and we've got a new. Uh, Service provider coming on board, Pixie Set, which is, is, is going to... Is that
1: live yet? Are you allowed to well, announce we're, that?
0: we've got the first live order came through. I think they're about to start promoting it. So, if anyone's listening to this podcast, they'll find out.
1: Oh, fucking hell. You didn't tell me that.
0: Yeah, first live order came I through. I haven't sent
1: them the frame outsides yet. Oh,
0: well, you need to get onto that. Well, what do you mean? The, the big grand announcement hasn't gone... Pew.
1: Well, you've just fucking blown it on the yeah, podcast. As you
0: said no one listens to us, it, so it's fine.
1: Oh, you're such a dickhead. So
0: our customer service people are busy, so we're going to help them yes, out. Yes, and
1: so we have the most beautiful, beautiful two new people starting, one of which is Pamela, Pamela? who is super new but has a history of working in the photographic labs. And, and she's a
0: drone pilot. I like know. she's a qualified, fully she's qualified, like FAA just, accredited drone pilot. Yeah,
1: she's this kind of, she's the kind of woman that I just am like, okay, I know that if I ask this woman to do anything, she will just magically do it. Like she's just unfazable. She's been working as a manager of a pub and I tell you, she has got
0: stories. She's been robbed. and
1: So good. So, <laughs> so good. Something. She's got like certificates for everything under the sun. She's just. Brilliant, but she is super new to our range, so she's going to be nice. Super new, uh, uh, steep learning curve, and then we have glorious, glorious Dana, who I may have a little bit of a crush on because Dana's fab. Dana's amazing from
0: Will and Co.
1: Correct, and um, and Doug, Dana's beautiful husband, also works for us, and we like to keep the nepotism high. Um There's and picture
0: framing and yep. colour correcting
1: now. And Dana's a He's photographer, so scans. yeah. Yeah, so it's good. So So she's gonna be able to really and she's one of the very few people that loves Rose. <laughs> so I'm gonna be like booking her in with to talk to photographers who do not love Rose and um and she can tell them all about how great it is. She's That's she's nice. a real buddy she's yeah. Choose so there we go, fish.
0: something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue this week. It's been I know. And
1: then I'm going to be getting wow. another person to be helping me with some graphics work.
0: Well, wow, that's very exciting.
1: And another, he, she's another client,
0: photographer person. We know the best people.
1: We do know the best people because they're all in the photographing industry, which is the best goddamn industry. I'm
0: good. So are you ready for your moment of colour? <sighs> oh, jeez. Don't be so enthusiastic <laughs> about it.
1: I'm getting comfy.
0: So your moment of colour this week is really, you know, about metallics. (laughs) Not metallic paper. What's
1: that face for? Well, well, you look so fucking sad. You never
0: look excited about my mum. Oh,
1: darling, it's just because I'm married to you, and you know, you explaining things to me (laughs) is something I've had to deal with for a very fucking long
0: time. We get often quite uh, often we get asked quite often to render gold, make gold. Like this has got to be gold, and we look at them and go, "You realize gold is not actually a color, yeah?" Um, and I always (laughs) say to them, "Gold is an event." And so is silver, for that matter, and titanium. That's good. I like that. An event. It's an event where the light twinkles. Twinkle, twinkle, twinkle. twinkle.
1: My first job at Ian Kidd Design, which was my iKD, my first um, job out of uni. uh, He was so anti-gold. He was like, people just use gold to make something look fancy and it's bullshit and you can make luxury and fanciness without the use of metallics. And actually, I, that's a really good challenge. I actually, yeah, and I think it is it is a good challenge and I think it's also one that works really well for us because we don't do foiling.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, Kate, can, can, can we can we print golds? And no.
1: What you can print is a photograph that someone has taken – of the event that is
0: gold. Yeah. And we get asked to, we do have a copy department as well for scanning prints and original and paintings because we do a bit of painting reproduction as well. And um, um, that's a
1: hot mess when they've yeah, got bloody gold foil. It's very common
0: it. that people, there's a whole lot of problems that actually come beyond that. So if anyone out there is, you know, does a bit of photographing of paintings and artworks, like we should totally go to the... And discuss the, the horror show that it can be mm-hmm. because uh, quite often the, uh, the paints that are used, acrylics or oils or whatever, they're using those colors which are really well outside the cyan, magenta, yellow, black, yeah. spectrum y type of thing gamut. And so you're doing these things, and you're trying to interpret. And there's some painting techniques where they put under that you don't actually see with the human eye, but under certain lighting conditions. those colours emerge. Mm. But gold is one of those tricky ones where we get asked quite often to to deal with it And uh, as far as photographing. And what we end up doing is we do a copy for a photograph of the original light it flat so it's just as it is and quite often the gold will either be white or black. That's Mm. all there is to it because it kicks back light. So we do another shot where the light one of the one of the main lights is off, and so you get that sense of reflection, and then we lay the two one over the other. So basically,
1: you're creating the event,
0: the illusion, yeah, of the event. That's right. Mm. And so if we were to to having gold in a photograph, and people had, and it wasn't actually black or white, fully reflective or not reflective, but depending where the angle of the light is, uh, if we're to do that, it does come out as a yellow. But the thing, the trick is, is for it not to be just a yellow, for it to be a varied yellow through lights and darks and specular highlights suggesting it's reflecting mm. and all that kind of stuff.
1: Which it, is very hard on a single plane.
0: Oh, it's, it's really, really hard. And you've got to trust that people aren't going to look too hard at it, frankly. Mm. It's just one of those limits of the system. So, And then there is the, the Kodak invention of metallic paper, which is a little tricky because – so I described photographic paper a few episodes ago where there's these layers of cyan, magenta, and yellow um, receptive dyes attached to silver crystals. Well, the Cut metallic paper, they actually have another layer of a silver in there that is creates a sort of a pearlescence in the prints. And if you put a yellow on that, the combination with the yellow and the pearlescence makes it look bronze or gold. It's... And if you do it with a, a, uh, like a black and white, it actually looks quite silvery. And because it's got the silver, co- high silver content in it, when you tip it this way and that to the light, it actually flashes like silver. So Yeah,
1: it's pretty freaky though as a, f- as a photographic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I find it almost pointless except for some landscape stuff and underwater photos. It yeah. makes underwater photos look like they're actually underwater, but, you know, whatever.
1: But <laughs> it's clearly not underwater, man. No,
0: no. But it's kind of... Um, uh, it's it's cute and it's um uh it's a little gimmicky, but we it has. There its is fans. definitely a
1: client base that loves the bright, super saturated, shiny, shiny sheet. Yeah, well, it
0: has a very broad color gamut. It does can get some more extreme colors and mm. regular lusters. and actually, the paper I use it in my door as a whiteboard. It's very good as a whiteboard marker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm whiteboard, sure you Kodak's thrilled to hear uh, that. Anyway, so, please, if you're listening, Kodak, please um. Please, Please
1: uh, reconsider your. You know, I mentioned that money to your
0: people. They've released an, a new metallic surface that has a luster texture on top oh, of it, but metallic. Gross. Don't don't don't. Put, we'll upset our Kodak rep, no, who we love very we much. We love him. Well, everybody, we'd like to say uh, happy week. To happy you.
1: week, Melbourne. Hope you're doing all right. Stay safe. We're we're sending some goodies.
0: We are. We are. Stay safe in milk. the rest of Australia. Lock yourselves up anywhere else in the world. Wear a
1: fucking mask and wash your filthy hands.
0: And congratulations, to New Zealand, for being 100 days. Yes, co- New Zealand uh, is smug as
1: shit right now. So
0: they should be. They deserve it. They did the great thing by locking up. I mean, they could, they can do it, and they survived. well, they could still it. fuck it up. Oh, in a heartbeat. But yes. But um, either
1: way, we're all smug when we look
0: at America, bold US. Yes. Good luck, everybody. Have a lovely week, and um, we'll catch you on yes. the flip side bye